This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard.com Pop Shop Podcast. My name is Keith Caulfield. And I am the co-director of Charts at Billboard. And joining me, as always, is Billboard's deputy editor, digital, Katie Atkinson. Hi, Katie. Hey, Keith. How are you? Great. Yourself? I am fabulous. Awesome. As always, the Billboard Pop Shop podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show, we'll be chatting about Fergie's notable rendition of the National Anthem at the NBA All-Star Game this weekend. Notable. Notable. Plus chart news about Black Panther, the album, newcomer rapper Blockboy JB's big debut on the Billboard Hot 100, and more. Plus, we've got an interview with Smash songwriter Diane Warren. You know her for the Hot 100 number one she's written, like Unbreak My Heart and I Don't Want to Miss a Thing, of course, from the film Armageddon. And that song earned her an Academy Award nomination for Best Original Song. This year, she has her ninth Academy Award nomination for writing Stand Up for Something from the film Marshall. We'll be chatting with Diane about the track. Plus, we asked her some burning questions about her career. We might be asking things about Cher, Tina Turner, and Madonna, just saying. Madonna. Hmm. Madonna. Hmm. And since Diane Warren is our special guest, we figured we could also talk about some of our personal favorites of her Hot 100 hits that she's written. So stick around for all that in just a bit. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on iTunes so you won't miss an episode, because you don't want to miss an episode. <laughs> And give us a rating or review while you're at it. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit iTunes.com slash Billboard Podcasts. Okay, let's run the Billboard chart numbers and do the chart chat. Here are three of the biggest headlines on the charts. First up, Black Panther, the album. Debuts at number one on the Billboard 200 Albums chart, bowing with 154,000 equivalent album units earned in the week ending February 15th. And mind you... That was before the movie even opened in theaters last Friday, February 16th. Uh, the album also landed the biggest streaming week ever for a soundtrack, racking up 138.9 million on-demand audio streams for its songs during the tracking week. Now, the album is expected to continue at number one next week, powered in part by the buzz generated from the film You May Have Heard of the Movie, hmm. um, which earned $242 million in its first 
four days of release in the U.S. and Canada box office. That's the second largest four-day opening for a film behind only Star Wars The Force Awakens, another movie you may have heard of, which earned $288 million. Have you seen Black Panther yet? I haven't seen the movie. Yeah, I've, I've been listening to the soundtrack on repeat. Though. Oh, really? Oh, my goodness, yes. Big fan of the album? It's really good, and it's too short, and so every time I finish it, I want more. It's... But it's but there's like aren't there like fourteen? <laughs> it tracks? feels short. Every time I listen to it, I'm like, is it really done? In this day and age, where like hip hop albums are too freaking long, where yeah. it's like you know <laughs> the Chris Brown album has like what eighty tracks? Yeah, you know? and I'm over here. I'm a Weezer fan, so I usually get like a twenty nine minute album. So I guess the Black Panther fourteen tracks is actually pretty meaty. You know what's kind of interesting is that only three of the tracks on the album are actually in the film. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. Because a lot of it sounds very cinematic, too, like score, you know, music. It's interesting. Hence the uh, tagline on the cover, or or on the back, that says, Music from and inspired by. And inspired by. by. Yeah, I um, I actually write, I wrote in my story, which clearly you have not read. Um, (laughs) I wrote in my story on uh, Sunday about how only three of the songs are actually in the movie, um, which is not terribly unusual for Mm. a soundtrack to have just a handful of songs. In the film, but uh, the movie, the, the soundtrack kind of harkens back to um, soundtracks that were, you know, inspired by. And we've had number ones like this before where, you know, like the Hunger Games, the first Hunger Games mm. soundtrack, which was, I think, fra- framed as songs from District 12 and beyond. Yeah. <laughs> um, and only three of the tracks are actually heard in the movie, and I think they all might have been in-credit songs. Mm. Because really, you're not going to have a lot of contemporary music yeah. in Hunger Games. Yeah. Um, Unless it's Jennifer Lawrence singing The Hanging Tree. That wasn't in the first film. Yes, no. Anyway, also, (laughs) um, next up, for only the 10th time since 1963, and just the second time in the last 10 years, a record-tying three soundtracks rank among the top five on the Billboard 200 albums chart. Black Panther, of course, debuts at number one, followed by the former number one, The Greatest Showman, at number three, and newcomer Fifty Shades Freed at number five. Since the Billboard 200 chart dated August 17, 1963, when Billboard combined its previously separate mono and stereo album charts. Remember, back in the day, kids, there used to be albums that were just mono albums or stereo albums. We had different charts for them. We combined them into one chart, and we're dating our research back to that week. Um, And since that week, just... 10 weeks have had seen a record three soundtracks in the top five. So hooray for Hollywood. Which is especially notable because soundtracks and in, in like movie musicals used to be such a big deal too. So, And lastly, rising Memphis rapper Blockboy JB makes a splashy debut in the top 10 on the Billboard Hot 100 with his debut chart hit Look Alive. The track, which features Drake... Launches with probably doesn't hurt, which probably doesn't hurt. (laughs) Launches with 34 million streams and 32,000 downloads sold, enabling its number six debut on the Hot 100. And as we just said, certainly having Drake on the track (laughs) helps just a little bit. Um, While it's Blockboy JB's first top ten, it's Drake's 23rd top ten hit. Uh, Meanwhile, Drake's God Plan, God Plan, God's Plan. It's a possessive there with God. Uh, holds at number one for a fourth week. And we should see God's Plan hang out in the top slot for a while as its official music video, where Drake basically gives away a million dollars to assorted people and organizations, bowed last Friday. So we'll see the impact from that on next week's chart. And God's Plan is just like so far ahead Mm. on the Hot 100 because its streams are so enormous. I don't see, unless another superstar drops something 
like I don't see anything countering it yeah. anytime soon. Because God's Plan's radio airplay is now finally picking up and gaining on the This streaming. one's going to be here for a while. Yeah. So, yeah. The video is incredible, by the way. And, and so it's just, like you said, going to grow because everybody's watching this video. Yeah. Uh, my husband, not a Drake fan. Uh, I, he's somebody who, like, you know, can be uh, polarizing. And that video, he was, like, all about it. So I feel like this is, like, something that everybody can appreciate. My parents would probably love this video. Just to see people getting, you know, a million dollars who deserve it, you know? Yeah. Scholarships and, and women's shelters. And it's well, it's incredible. Well, now you want to find out more of the backstory behind the people in the video. You're just, like, when he just oh, yeah. walks up to people on the street and surprises them. I'm like, how did... You find them. How did you know that they needed money? Like, were you recording something under, like, a sort of a false pretense of, like, oh, we're doing a documentary about people in need, and, like, uh, Drake waltzes up behind you? Yeah. I no, I, there a lot of stories came out before the video's release where all of a sudden it was, like, Drake was, I, I referred to him as South Beach Santa Claus in an oh. article on Billboard.com, but, like, he, all these stories were coming out about him um, giving money away, but not like no one knew that it was the video. Like that was the reason behind the video. So oh, was that like, what is Dra- Drake's going on this spree? It's like like he just bought a grocery store full of you know, like yeah. the grocery store gets every because all their groceries. this this student told her story on Twitter, and then this grandma told the story. Who then like her grandson told the story on Twitter, and, and then you a know, few like, days later the video drops, and then it comes out, and it's like, oh, oh. this was a whole you know thing. <laughs> it wasn't just Drake being. It was Drake being uber generous, but for a purpose. But for a commercial purpose. Yes. <laughs> to get people to stream God's Plan. Yes. Hey. It worked. <laughs> um, well, anyway, so there, there's my chart news. Should we move on to uh, Fergie's Fergie? notable national anthem? <laughs> notable is the right uh, word, I suppose. You might have heard that Fergie performed the national anthem at the NBA All-Star Game on Sunday night. Um, the Black Eyed Peas alum unleashed her unique take unleashed. on the Star Spangled Banner. Interesting choice of words there, Katie. <laughs> She drew uh, a lot of reactions from people watching at home and from the A-list crowd in the building and the basketball players on the court. Um, They could kind of barely hide their reactions. Uh, That's kind of my favorite part of the video. Like... The the anthem is one thing. We've we've heard a lot of different versions of the national anthem. Sometimes they're rough. Sometimes they're great. Sometimes you know it's in between. But the reactions from the people to the song are really worth watching. So please check that out. Um, and then we haven't actually stated what you may have already figured out, but it wasn't exactly a well received performance. No. Um, and she took a lot of liberty <clears throat> with the song. There was a lot of... Um, to do a patriotic pun <laughs> for you there. It, there was a lot of, um, you know... There was a there was a really sharp drum beat that she had. Uh, and she she chose a lot of vocal runs that were interesting. And the, yeah, yeah, you know, a lot of that kind of... She, she extended the syllables of words into strange places. There was... People's favorite seems to be the banner one in the center. <laughs> but anyway, it it was yeah, it was it was not well she, received. She, so she uh didn't get it started. Ah, was she... it sort of a not boom boom pow but boom boom mm, splat? <laughs> yes. But she released a statement about it after the fact. Um and she admitted it didn't quite go as she had planned. <laughs> 
Her statement reads, quote, I've always been honored and proud to perform the national anthem, and last night I wanted to try something special for the NBA. It was special. I'm a risk taker artistically, mm-hmm. but clearly this rendition didn't strike the intended tone. I love this country and honestly tried my best. I don't think anyone's questioning her love of the country. No. I just think that it just didn't go so hot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, after Fergie's anthem, TMZ actually caught up with Mariah Carey, who's had her own experiences with less than well-received live performances, and she had this advice in true Mariah fashion. Darling, nobody needs to listen to that. As the haters, not the anthem. <laughs> Was what, did, they, did they catch her, like, on camera and she oh, said yeah. that? Oh, man. <laughs> Lord. Oh. oh. So moving on from Fergie, though, before we dive into <clears throat> our interview with Diane Warren, we thought we'd chat about some of our favorite songs that she's written. She's written a few. Just a, cu- a few. A couple. Um, <laughs> because she's written so many hits, we've narrowed our focus uh, a little bit. Yeah, we're only going to consider songs that she's written that has have charted on the Hot 100, and, which is still a pretty good list. Uh, yeah, we've got pages here. I've got like four pages of hits, basically. Yeah. Um, and to spice things up, we're going to divide this into like two categories, basically. Our favorites of her super huge high charting smashes and then um those that were perhaps lesser known hits but were still chart hits yes um so katie um should i go first or do you want to go first well i've got a really big one in my favorites i feel like it's a good starting point okay well i mean you, you can do all yours first and then okay. i can do it yeah, okay. easier that way so my first one is tony braxton's unbreak my heart so you'll love me again which according to uh gary trust countdown of her biggest Hound 100 hits is number two really yes well um, it was number one for 11 weeks on the billboard Hot 100 so, charts, so. <laughs> she had one that was bigger than that <laughs> um which, just to let you know, was How Do I Live by Leanne Rimes. Yeah, it's one of the biggest hits in Hot 100 history, frankly. Yes. Um, so, Unbreak My Heart is a personal favorite. First of all, I love Toni Braxton, and I love her deep voice. And this song, like, the verses really take Toni down to, like, the depths of that voice. Like, the alto. Yeah, is totally, is totally on point in the song. So, I think that that... Is, is my favorite part, but then the lyrics are also amazing. Just the, the concept of unbreak my heart is great. Yeah, the, just the, the the phrase of unbreak. Yeah. Like, oh, that's yeah. just, like, sort of a genius yes. phrase. It's And then it I I didn't ask... I, I didn't ask Diane specifically about unbreak my heart, but I wonder, with songs like that, do you mm. come up with the title of the song first and then just try to write the lyrics around the you title. You know, maybe. Yeah, because it's I such a great title. I'm sure that she would have a good answer to that. Well, next time we interview her, we'll ask her. Next time. <laughs> Missed opportunity, Keith. But yeah, instead of just saying, don't break my heart, or like, let's go back to before you broke my heart, it's unbreak. It's great. Unbreak. Um, and another one, which you did ask about um, on my list, is Ace of Bases, Don't Turn Around. Because you're going to see my heart breaking. This has a fascinating backstory, which Keith gets into in the interview. But I, just on the surface of it being a huge hit for Ace of Base, you know, they started, they came out with the sign, obviously a huge hit. And then this song, I loved this song. It is, and it just shows how many different styles Diane's writing can work in, mm-hmm. obviously, like to go from the Tony Braxton R&B ballad to Don't Turn Around. Right. And with that beat and with the, like, weird spoken rapping and, the, you know, like, the it, whole thing. It's a deceptive song because it has this, like, up-tempo little... It's, like, up-tempo, yeah. but the song is, you know, about sort of a sad topic. But it still uh, sticks with the heartbreak theme. And speaking of love, my third 
in and my huge Diane hits is Taylor Dane's Love Will Lead You Back, which I'm obsessed with. Some, someday I just know. It. That's another voice that I'm obsessed well, with. Well, Taylor Dane is amazing. Yes, she's awesome. But that song is so good. And it's just like, it's one of those songs that actually has been picked up a lot on um, singing competition shows. They American Idol, a couple people sang it. It's just such a good, well-written song. Mm. And, and this one actually is a little more hopeful. Love Will Lead You Back. Someday I just know it. Yeah, it, you might be heartbroken now, but love will lead you back. You'll, you'll come back to the one who loves you. <laughs> so um, those are my three big hits. So um, three, I think I actually ended up picking four. I mean, really, I have a lot of Diane Warren favorites. Yeah. Um, because it's just, there's so many. There's so hits. many. Um, immediately shares if I could turn back time. Oh, yes. Um, I almost didn't pick it because I knew you would. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's just... It's just not only for the fact that it gave Cher what is probably her signature, if not one of her, like, three or four signature songs mm-hmm. after, like, Believe and... It's surely her 80s signature. Yes. And such an... I mean, the whole the whole package, the iconic video mm-hmm. and, like, the fishnets and mm-hmm. the boots and the whole thing, but it all wouldn't... It wouldn't have existed without the song. Yeah. And Cher is just such a powerhouse in the track. That's one of my faves. I also love Millie Vanilli's Blame It on the Rain. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and of course, Millie Vanilli had a number one hit with Blame It on the Rain. It's a song that Diane wrote on her own. In fact, most of the songs that Diane has written that have become hits were songs that she wrote on her own by herself, which we also do mention in the show. Um, but, you know, Millie Vanilli famously, you know, was not who we thought they were. Right. It was a, a duo that turned out to not be the duo that we thought they were. And studio singers. Studio singers. And, and handsome male models fronting things. Yeah, lip syncing yes. the stuff yeah. and dancing. Um, studio singers were great studio yeah. singers, clearly. And they, they these studio singers sang a whole album's worth of material and had a bunch of hits mm-hmm. with them. But we didn't know at the time. Yeah. Later at some point, um, and I'm paraphrasing wildly, someone asked Diane about, like, what did she think of you know, Blame It on the Rain and Millie Vanilli. And she's effectively said something like, I don't really care who sang it. Mm-hmm. And whoever did sing it, sang it amazingly. Yep. And she's like, so kudos to them. Yep. Basically saying, the song still turned out great. It was great. a great song. It was a great song. Um, turns out I actually uh, marked two more faves, which one of which was Don't Turn Around, so I don't need to really talk right. about that now. And my last fave was Aerosmith's I Don't Want to Miss a Thing. Huge. Huge hit. Aerosmith's first and only number one hit on the Billboard Hot 100, which people are probably still amazed by. Yeah. And... It's it's such a great um, moment for them, and it's a great such sort of power rock ballad, and and the song you know takes on a different kind of meaning you know because you have Steven Tyler of Aerosmith singing this like emotional song you know about not missing something, and his daughter Liv is in the movie, and you know it has a di- like the song has a different meaning, so it sort of works on multiple levels, and also the song is just really awesome in general. So you know. Um, so those are my, my, some of, there are more. I know. There's a lot to go through. But th- those are just some of my favorites. It's, I implore anyone listening to go check out Gary's article. I think it's from a couple of years ago that is her top like 40 Hot 100 hits. So you can really see the breadth of all the songs she's written. Do we have like some favorites that might have been slightly lesser huge hits? Because well, these were all like basically number one or two or three hits. Yeah, my my one that's less known but still well known and obviously still charted is um another Leanne Rhymes song. We mentioned Leanne Rhymes being the biggest hit of Diane's career with How Do I Live. And never went to number one. It was at number two for a very long time. Oh wow. Yeah. That's interesting. But see the thing is, how do I live before you go into that? How do I live spent uh 
69 weeks on the Hot 100 chart. Wow. Yeah. And that's not even counting the Trisha Yearwood version, which is a totally different song, right? Yeah. Or, right? That's I'm not making that up. We nope. didn't combine them. That was also a top 40 hit. Yeah. number 23. Only spent 12 weeks on the chart, but that was the one that was actually in the movie Con yeah. Air. Yep, yep. There's a long story about how do I live. Google it, kids. <laughs> but speaking of Leanne, right. uh, I wanted to point out Can't Fight the Moonlight, which was featured also in a movie, Coyote Ugly. Have you seen Coyote Ugly before? No. <laughs> it's so good. Good lord. Was so it Piper, like, Piper Parabo? Piper Parabo is in it. Parabo. Um, oh, yeah. Here. Well, and a, a mess of like <clears throat> models like Tyra Banks is in it. Shockingly, and... models in a, in a movie called Coyote Ugly <laughs> where their, their whole thing is that they're bartenders. girls dancing on bar. Yeah. <laughs> I was in college when this came out. It was perfectly marketed to like young, like 19-year-old ladies to go watch this movie. So um, Female empowerment. Take yeah, off your clothes and dance yeah, in a bar. Yeah. Um, but the thing that's interesting about it is that um, in <clears throat> the movie, the lead character, played by Piper Parabo, is an aspiring songwriter. And so she actually wants to be like Diane Warren and writes this song in the movie. Her character writes Can't Fight the Moonlight Hmm. and performs it in like a showcase herself to sell it to like record labels to get picked up by Leanne Rimes, who actually performs in the movie doing the girl's song written obviously by Diane Warren instead performs it like on the bar at the Coyote Ugly Bar. Wow. Yeah. So how did I not know any of this? Well, you haven't seen the movie. And wow. I feel like you, uh, you know, might have overlooked it for I cl- obvious reasons. I clearly just like poo-pooed Coyote Ugly. <laughs> it's, listen, there, there's... I piper para ch- boo-booed. No? <laughs> it is a Bo-bo. cheesy movie, but it is actually awesome. And it, it's totally worth watching. And maybe I'm like remembering it fondly because it was like 2001, different time or whatever year it was. But um, that movie or that song is great, and it's great that like the the character basically wants to to have Diane Warren's career. Mm. Well, Diane Warren might have something to say about that. <laughs> um, okay, so um, I have a few um, lesser, but these are still big hits. Faves. Um, I love Heart in general, of course. Um, and they had a great um, hit called "Who Will You Run To." In 1987, it went to number seven on the Hot 100. I know that's still a top ten hit, but it mm-hmm. wasn't a number one. And a lot of Diane Warren's hits were like number one or number two or number three hits. It's such a great um, sort of kick-ass, like you know, uh, take charge kind of song. But you know, it's an interesting song where you know it's like, who will you run to when it all falls down? Yeah, who's going to pick your life, you know, up off the ground? You know, who's like, who's going to Who's going to love you as good as I did? Mm. Like, who who's going to treat you as well as me? Mm-hmm. And when you hear, like, you know, Ann Wilson, it's like, who will you run? You're like, oh, okay. I don't know. I clearly didn't think You're this right. through. You are so right, Ann. I am coming right back. I am going to run to you right now. I totally get it. Um, I also enjoy... Um, a number eight hit from 1989 called Just Like Jesse James. No, oh, I don't know this song. It's a song by Cher. Oh, of course. Um, and it's it's like a weird, it's like a weird story song, but not really. It's like, you're strutting into town, at the do-do-do-do, just a smooth so town, like cool with a cool city attitude. 80s version of Gypsies, <clears throat> Tramps, and Thieves? Sort of. It's like, <laughs> but it's like, baby, you met your match tonight. All right. It's like, and it's like... It's like shoot them all down with a flash of your pearly smile. It's like such a it's it's like a it's a different kind of song for Diane, um, and it has like this fun kind of like slightly kitschy vibe. Right. Cher, I think, has said that she doesn't like the track so much. Oh. Um. So she doesn't really perform it 
live hardly. Yeah. But when you do get it live, it's like a hoot. Uh, well, I also noted Can't Fight the Moonlight because I love the dance remixes of the song, actually. Oh, yeah. A same. I used to jam to those in college when Napster was a thing. They were Sorry, great I dance probably should have bought it, Diane. My bad. Well, <laughs> um, it's okay. Um, anyway. We can keep going, but I think those that, that's the, just the tip of the iceberg. I feel like what we've learned today is that you need to go home and watch Coyote Can, Ugly. No, <laughs> we have not learned that. That will not be happening. Um, <clears throat> okay, well. I mean, after all this, shall we actually chat with Diane? Diane? Well, yes, because now <laughs> it's time for our interview with one and only Diane Warren, uh, the songwriter who got her first writing credit on the Hot 100 chart 35 years ago this year is currently enjoying her ninth Academy Award nomination for Best Original Song for Stand Up for Something from the movie Marshall. It's a song she co-wrote with Common, and the song is performed by Andrew Day featuring Common. In our interview, we chat all about the making of the song and how it came to be, plus we discuss some burning questions I had about some famous folks she's worked with, like Cher, Tina Turner, and Asa Bass, and one particular diva she hasn't worked with, <clears throat> Madonna. So... <laughs> Here's her interview with Diane Warren. Welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast, Diane Warren. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Um, We're like talking about our mutual growing up. Our mutual love of Billboard's charts. Yeah. Um, uh, We come from it. We come from them in two very different angles. Uh, You make the hits. And I just happen to write about them and see them on the charts. Oh, it, 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 there's, there's a place for both of us. Yes. Well, um, you're obviously a titan on Billboard's charts, having written so many number ones and top tens on the Billboard Hot 100 charts, including Unbreak My Heart and Because You Loved Me and Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now, which was not only your first number one on the Hot 100, but it also garnered you your first Academy Award nomination. Yes. Um, this, that was the 60th Academy Awards. We're now at the 90th. And so literally are. 30 years to the day. The fashions have changed, but... Yeah, I saw a picture of me in the... You know, the, the cool thing about the Oscars, <laughs> they give you this class photo. Oh, yeah. You know? It's kind of fun. You're like, with you know, kind of people you only would dream of like standing next Meryl to. Meryl Streep and Steven Spielberg yeah. around you. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of like, like... It's like the for an unpopular kid in school, it's like, wow, I, I'm kind of in with, the, with the cool kids now, at least at least in one picture. So I looked at, I looked at the one from um, from 30 years ago. I'm like, what the fuck? What was I wearing? What was my... my the hair, the mullet, the horrible outfit. Ooh. You know, yeah, it was bad. Thing, you know, I'm sure we'll look. I'm sure we can go to the 120th Academy Awards, and people will probably laugh <laughs> at what we're wearing at the 90th. Oh yeah, yeah, maybe. You know, or maybe nothing's going to change because nothing's kind of changed. Like it's all cyclical. You know? Yeah, it you is. Know. All of a sudden, all the really you know, it's going to be cool to have a mullet again. So. Yes. We can maybe hope. Not. Maybe not. We can hope and pray. <laughs> maybe hope not. Um, well, <laughs> speaking of Oscars, uh, this is you're on your ninth Academy Award yeah. nomination. Um, Exciting. For Best Original Song for Stand Up for Something yeah. from the film Marshall, a yeah. song that you co-wrote with Common, and it is performed yeah. by Andrew Day with Common. Yeah. Um, how did you get involved with the film? Did you have an existing relationship with the director or the producers? or You know, how, the way I got involved, I'd met Reggie Hudlin when he, he produced the Oscars. The director to, of the film. Yeah, right? the director of the film. Yeah, yeah sorry. Reggie Hudlin uh, directed Marshall. And I, I wrote the Lady Gaga song, Till It Happens to You. And so at the o- Oscars two years ago during the rehearsals, where, where Reggie was co-producing the Oscars, I, I, I would hang out with him at the rehearsals, and we really hit it off. Wow. And a friend, I was having dinner with a friend of mine, you know, and she was saying, you know, my, you know, my cousins just wrote a movie 
about Thurgood Marshall that Reggie Hudlin's directing. I'm like, funny enough. Wow, I know Reggie. I love <laughs> Reggie. I'm going to call him and see if he wants a song. So I went home and um, and and texted him and um, just, hey, hey, Reggie. Let me know if you need a song. He goes, are you kidding? I'm sending you the script today. Wow. So he sent me Marshall, and um, I read it, and I wrote down, I scribbled down, it all means nothing if you don't stand up for something on, on the script. And I was like, I kind of had a vision of, of the song I wanted to write for this, and I wanted to, I wanted to kind of, you know, write a song that could have been sung by Sam Cooke. I wanted, like, like a change is going to come, mm-hmm. you know, where people get ready, Th- those kind of songs, you know. Um, so I listened to, I listened to you know, uh, change is going to come. I listened to that, you know, twenty times in a row just to get the feel of it. Like, how? What if you write that song? You know, that classic. Because those songs were these calls to action. Yeah. They, were, they were just they inspired you. What if you wrote that? You know, m- a modern version of that. So I so I just sat down at the piano and that and that chorus uh, stand up for something came in in just one literally <clears throat> words and music and chords wrote itself. And I was like, wow, this is, I just, it was like a gift. It just really, you know, and just really worked on the song and, 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 and tried, I wanted to keep it modern, be it, I wanted it to be like where it could have been, you know, from that some, time, from thing that time. Yeah. you know, the film, you know, and then I thought, what if you put a rapper on that? Like, cause those, you wouldn't have had that in those days. Those songs, rap didn't even exist. Right. So I thought nobody's better for, for that than Common. And, um. We were on a plane, a year, literally a year ago, going to Sundance. Or I was on a plane. And looking back at me, not even a week after I was thinking about that, he's in back of me. I'm like, uh, Kiss me. this is crazy. And we've, t- and yeah, exactly. I mean, meant to be. And um, we had talked about we talked about doing something together before, like you know, for a few years. Because I was I was up for an Oscar when he was up for Glory. It was one of my nine, one of my eight that, times I lost. That was when you were up for <laughs> for um, Grateful, Grateful for Beyond, for Beyond the, the Lights, Lights Rita yes. Ora. Um, and so he's sitting behind me, and I said, you know, there's a song I just did that I just wrote for Marshall that would be amazing if, if you, you know, were interested. So I sang him the chorus, like on the plane in front of people. Uh, those poor people. Private had, show. Had to me Diane Warren in common, yeah. everyone. Well, it was, it was just me, actually, because <clears throat> yeah, right. he didn't know the song yet. So I sang it, and he, like, loved it. He goes, get me, get me that as soon as you get off the plane. So the plane landed, and... I said, get that, you know, I emailed my office, get 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 that song, here's his email, get that to him right now. Next day I had like 10 missed calls from him. Wow. So I was like, oh, I, people don't usually call you when they don't like something. So I, I figured he was interested. And he was not only interested, he goes, I have to be on this song. Wow. You have to just, I have to be a part of this. You know, and he, and he what he brought to it's great. You know, he, he, he brought, he elevated it, mm-hmm. you know, like, I love what he did. Now, when you first, when you first heard that they were writing the script, for the movie, How, well, I heard when I heard about it, they they had actually they were shoot. I think the movie were, was almost already, shot. Okay. Yeah, that was. So how long ago was that? This was the year before, not last year. So 2016. So it was like in yeah, yeah. At the end of that because the movie at one point was going to maybe come out you know a year ago. And when um, when you first started writing, was had you had you seen much of the film? I hadn't have, seen any of the movie. I'd only read the script. Oh wow! So. Yeah, I, I hadn't seen it. But this is another weird meant to be thing. So when I when I read the, when I wrote the song, I thought there's no one better for this song than Andrew Day. You know, well she, she's she's kind of great for every song. She, frankly, yeah, she is. <laughs> she's one of the best singers on yeah. the planet. But what what I loved about her voice for this is she she sounds like she could have been in those days. Oh, totally. You yeah, know, you know. And so I thought, you know, I'm gonna you know reach out to her. But anyways, when the demo was in the movie, this is even before Common was on it. You know, there was just, just you know. I'm watching the movie, and there's Andra. 
she's in the movie playing a Billie Holiday kind of singer. And I, I'm like, this is so weird. This is so meant to be. The common part, the Andrew Day part. Wow. You know, and it all happened. Um, you know, when you write a song, um, did, did did the filmmakers have any notes for you after they heard the song? Did they say, oh, no. can, you, can you kind of guide it into this direction? No, no it, it? The, that's the beautiful thing about it. Wow. Um, the only thing, I mean, I, I, at first I thought it should be, at first after seeing the movie, it should maybe be a male artist. And I'm glad that Reggie wanted a female artist. And that's when I'm like, well, there's no one else but Andrew. It's a nice twist because, you know, the, the film is so male-dominated. Yeah. You know, obviously Thurgood Marshall is, you know, is, is a man and a, and, you know, an attorney. And, right. and, you know, most of the characters are men. And the only sort of major female character is, you know, the the woman who kind of sets a lot of the narrative in motion. Right. Um, but that is interesting. It's an interesting twist on it. Yeah, and I, lo- I thought that that was really smart. Yeah. Um, you know, when you write a song, is there a place where you write all of your music? Is there like a space in your house where you... Not in your- my house. I mean... Oh, you don't write in your no, house? No, I know. I go to work. Um, I, I've had an office for 33 years. Wow. <laughs> now I have a couple of rooms that I, that I write in. Um, I've, I've recently bought a building, and... You know, one floor is all studio, so I record there. But I haven't moved my offices there yet. You know, I, I, I've been there so long, so where I am. So right now I kind of just I go back and forth. I pay rent where I am, uh-huh. and then I record at, at my place. Is that is that on purpose where you want to keep things separate from your No, it just life? I just haven't gotten around to moving there yet. No, in terms of writing songs. Like oh, yeah, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah. I never wanted to work at home. I like, oh. I like the idea of going to work. Oh, I see. And plus where I live, I'm between two, you know, houses being built. So even if I wanted to, I couldn't. There's, there's, it's, it's a nightmare where I live. Um, so, so yeah, I, I like to, I like the idea of going to work. Wow. I like getting in my car, getting a bunch of coffee, and just. Does music? Going to work. I would assume music comes easy to you because you've had so many songs. And you, you know, it, just, does it just flow out of you? Like? No, I have to work at it. Some parts of it flow out, and then parts of it are work. You know, if you want to give, I'll give stand up for something as an example. That chorus wrote itself. That verse and musically and lyrically, that first verse wrote itself. That was, you know, didn't take long. Mm-hmm. The rest of the song killed me. Wow. You know, getting those lyrics right, getting that second verse right was like, it was like torture. Because I knew what I wanted to say and I didn't know how to get to it. And the, and the bridge as well. Is it hard to write music for film in general? Or is it easier because you already have like, like... A, a destination in mind because it's like, well, I'm writing a song for this movie and it kind of has to be about the action in the film. You know, it's the same process, but it's, you know, I mean, writing a song, you get you get inspired whether it's by a movie or by something else, right? right? But yeah, it, I, I, I've found I'm good at that. You know, it's kind of like, it, here's how I look at it. I look at it <clears throat> like that song, I, I want to write the best song for that movie, and I want whoever sings that, that song to be almost like they're a character in that movie. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I was being very articulate with what you said, but well, no, if I, mean, I answered your question. But yeah. it's, but I'm, yeah, I love getting inspired by, by, by anything, right. you know, but I love particularly getting inspired by a movie that really speaks to me. Like, like seeing this, it really, it, it really spoke to me. And, and, and here's another thing that I, that I do when writing a song for a movie. Okay, I want that. A that song has to be perfect within that movie. It has to. That's the main. Its main function. But if you do it right, it will have a, another equally great function outside of that movie. And it right. could be, you know, till it happens to you, for instance. Exactly. You know, that song was, you know, written. I wrote it about sexual assault, but I kept it open on purpose till it happens to you. Well. You know, and that's why people have, have embraced it. it. It could be bullying. It could be losing somebody. It could be 
going through whatever you go through where people go, you know what, it's going to be fine. It's like, no, fuck that, no. Right. It's not going to be fine. You know, you, you, till it happens to you, you don't know how it feels. Same with stand up for something. It's open. It's a way to make the song sort of personal and unique, but also universal at the same time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's, that's how I go about it. You know, um, you don't traditionally write with co-writers. Right. For the most part. I write by myself. Yeah. Um, even, even this song, you know, I, I basically wrote the song. Common wrote the rap on it. And then gave it, it to Common. Yeah. And, said, and, and, and what he wrote is, is fantastic. Um, and and I, th- is this the first time, I could be wrong, is this the first time that you've written a song with a hip-hop artist? Um, yeah, it's the first time I've had a rapper. Like, I've, I did a song for Snoop, you know, but he sang it. <laughs> I, I, I missed that one. <laughs> yeah, it was really cool. It's actually kind of funny because it's called The Good Shit, and it was about a rela- comparing a relationship to weed. <laughs> oh, well, okay. And, um, but he was Snoop Lion, and he couldn't say the word shit, so it became The Good Good. And then it was okay. used for an over, what's that, overstock? Overstock.com? Yeah, they were using that. I'm like, and The Good Good means weed. I'm like, it was kind of subversive. Like, do you guys know that you're, I guess now they can maybe sell it. They're in California or Colorado. Yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, who knows? <laughs> maybe they, they should start it. using it again. They may sell it at overstock.com. Yeah. Um, what's it been like getting to know Common? You know, uh, you know. obviously you knew him yeah. before you wrote yeah, the Yeah, I didn't really, I, I'm getting to know him really like well now. I love him. He, he's just a great guy, you know. He's everything you think he is, you know. And, it, and him and I together are so funny. It's like crass and class, you know. <laughs> like He's I, the I don't crass have a, one clearly. No, I, yeah, oh yeah, right. No, um, maybe not. So like me, I don't have a filter, and I just things, you know, um, you know, come out. I, I don't. I, I'm not always, you know. I've I've um, I've, I've learned I've learned that about you when I've talked to you on red carpets. Yeah, before. I have to I have to watch myself, right, Joe? Her, her publicist is sitting yeah. next to he, her right he now. He doesn't like when I curse. I actually, it's funny. Like the first time I met you, and you're not going to remember it because it was a fleeting moment, and it wasn't in a red carpet situation. I was at the Pet Shop Boys concert at the oh. Wiltern many, many years ago, and I was there with my friend David, who at the time was I working with that. Robbie Williams, but now he is Sia's manager. Oh wow! And um, he and I went to the Pet Shop Boys, and he's like, "Oh, we got backstage passes," and we saw you there, and you were wearing a black leather jacket, fake leather. It was fake leather. Yeah. <laughs> and um and he's like that's Diane Warren and I'm like well we can't just say hi I'm like that's awkward he's like no we're going to I'm like oh my god wow that's and, so weird like I was and, and, a big deal and that's weird. well you're Diane Warren for God's yeah, sakes and um and then we had a conversation and it was funny because you were like super no filter you were just yeah, like I and I was just like whoa she's like a <laughs> badass leather jacket wearing like mofo <laughs> and and um but you guys actually had a conversation about I think. You, I think you, you had pitched a song or the Pet Shop Boys had recorded No, they recorded a song, yeah, song right. of mine called Numb. And it's still, honestly, one of my favorite songs I've ever written that, and one of my favorite records of any, that anybody has ever done on my song. You know, and it was, it, I wrote it after my mom passed away. And it's a special song. But yeah, that's... Um, I didn't know where that story was going. I just thought I'd say it. Oh. Um, sorry. <laughs> well, nice meeting you. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, yeah. <laughs> um, well, in your career, you've written 32 top 10 hits on the Billboard Hot 100, nine of which have reached number one. Uh, not too shabby. Fun. Um, <laughs> and this year marks the 35th anniversary of your first top 10 hit. Uh, you co-wrote Laura Brannig- Laura Brannigan's Solitaire. I believe you translated the Yeah, the seven lyrics. and look at that as my first hit. Well, I, it wasn't a translation. I wrote a new lyric. But it counts. Yeah, but it doesn't, it's not anything I really wrote. It. I don't even count it. Like, I, you know, I count as my first hit, Rhythm of the Night. Words I, and music, me. I really wrote, you know, I sat down and wrote right. the song. It wasn't, you know, writing English lyrics to a French melody. You we're, know? we're still going to count it. All right, you can count it. Whether you like it or not. All right. Um, I have some burning questions about some of your biggest hits, if you don't okay. mind. Yeah, um, sure. Ace of Bass had a huge hit with Don't Turn Around, which you wrote. Yeah. A song that was originally performed by Tina Turner in the 1980s. Well, it, it, it right? was actually a B, Tina Turner it, it didn't want it. It was a B-side, a typical they, male. Yeah, they didn't want it on her album. 
And, and then I, they stuck it on the B side. So I've I've read, right. and this may you, your your disposition now has told me I could be right. Yeah. I've read that you weren't thrilled with that when it became a B side. I was thrilled. Yeah, I wasn't thrilled when they didn't put it on her album. No, when <laughs> she was the biggest artist in the world. Yeah, I was kind of bummed out. It's like, oh, really? It's just a B side, but can't keep a good song down. How, how did it eventually end up with Ace of Base? Was that you going back and saying, "Yo, no, Clive, can I you had make nothing this to do with that." So, so what happened was a, um, a guy named Luther Ingram heard the B side somehow and had a really minor R and B hit with it. Somehow, a group in in England called Aswad, Aswad. I think it's Aswad. Yeah. Okay. Like, <laughs> sort of a hard yeah. Z. Yeah. Okay. Aswad, as opposed to Aswad. <laughs> right. We'll that's keep the visuals out of that. That's a different group altogether. And it's like, why didn't they make it? I don't know. <clears throat> then, then maybe <laughs> maybe. A new song by Aswad. Um, don't turn around. Oh, God, there's like all kinds of stuff <laughs> there's so there. There's all kinds of wrong don't things Don't turn around, Aswad. <clears throat> yeah. Mm. So, so somehow Aswad, as opposed to Aswad, heard Luther Ingram's version, <clears throat> and they went and did a reggae version, hmm. like on their own. And it became, <clears throat> sorry, um, became a massive like number one record in England went all over the world became massive and probably because their name didn't do it here right. and different people recorded it like Neil Diamond did it um, you know Bonnie Tyler recorded it and then Clive heard it somehow heard the Aswad version That's and gave the, it Ace of Bass let's make Ace of Bass do it and then Ass of Bass Ass of Bass yes <laughs> oh if only um, uh, you've written songs that have been performed by uh, many divas yeah, uh, Celine, Cher, Mariah, Beyonce, yeah, to, just a few. Uh, <laughs> but somehow, one of my favorite artists, probably my favorite artist, Madonna, has never performed one of your songs. Yeah, I haven't worked with her yet. Did you ever pitch songs to her, and it just never worked out? There was a song like a, about I lose track of time about six years ago that she loved, and then I never heard anything. Hmm. You know, but just for whatever it is, it just yeah, who knows? Out. You know, I think I'd still work with her. Cool. Um, you, you've had some fun tweets about her over the years. Oh, maybe she wouldn't work with me. Well, oh, please. You're, you're both very outspoken ladies. I'm sure I'm sure she yeah. can take it. I mean, I you know, I always just have fun with things. So. Um, I just mentioned Cher, and uh, you've written some of her biggest hits, including If I Could Turn Back Time. Yeah. Um, what is it about the chemistry between the two of you that works so well? Because you guys have been you, you guys worked together this past year on yeah, another yeah. song for a film. Yeah, no, the, the thing, I, I, she did a song of mine called Prayers for This World this year for a movie the movie Cries from Syria and it was beautiful she didn't you know it's in the movie but she doesn't like how she sounded on it I'm like what are you talking about she's so hypercritical I know I'm, I'm like sure I've done this is my 20th song I've done with you I've done other songs you haven't sung as good as you did on this one on some of them and those are on your record so I, I don't know I don't know what she was thinking hmm. you know but Jennifer Hudson did a beautiful version of it no, there's, oh there's two different versions yeah yeah it's, it's not out yet oh Ooh la you know, la! Yeah, inside information yeah. straight from Diane. Yeah, um, it's beautiful what she did with that. Maybe thing. they could do a duet. That'd be really cool to put the two of them together on that song. Let's make it happen. Yeah, I'll make it happen. <laughs> um, last thing, um, you've worked with probably everyone. Is yeah. there someone right now that you have your eye on, like you know, a, a sort of an, an artist that you have yet to get to work with? You know, there's not any one artist in particular. There's a lot of artists. It's a nice I like. democratic answer. You know, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? No, but. Uh, I you know, love I'm, I'm, everyone. Yeah, every yeah. I love Anyone everyone that sells to, ten million albums. Sure. <laughs> no, but the but I, I'm excited about new people I meet. You know, new artists that that are going to come my way. I'm excited about that. Oh, uh, speaking of which, uh, Pasek and Paul, who were on the show recently, who wrote oh, yeah. the music for Greatest Showman, they were really excited. We asked them about some of their favorite soundtracks when they were um, growing up, and they said they loved the Space Jam soundtrack. Oh wow! And there's a track on there that Monica did. I think it was yeah. For you, I, I did I will. two songs on. I did yeah, For You I Will, and then I did I Turn to You, <clears throat> which later became a hit for. Christina Aguilera or oh, Christina yeah. and they said that it's been so much fun sort of doing the um, awards circuit 
with yeah. you this year because they've got to profess their love of you to you. Yeah, they were like very nice. <laughs> it, was, it was sweet. It was nice. Nice guys. <laughs> well, this has been lovely. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. And, uh, nice to talk to you. And uh, we'll see you on the Academy Awards. Yeah, on another carpet. Another carpet. Well, I another won't Another carpet, there. another day. Sadly, I won't be Oh, why won't you be there? Um, I-, I won't be there because uh, I just won't be there. Okay. But I look well, forward I'll to see seeing you your fashion. Again. I'll look forward to seeing your fashion this year. Oh, I won something really cool. I bought it before the nomination, so I'm like really glad I got nominated because it wasn't cheap. <laughs> <laughs> but, All right. Thank you, Diane. Thank you. What's up, love? Lift your hands. I stand with you because I understand. Ain't here to judge, just to take a stand. The greater plan's the creator's plan. Let's all rise like Thank you again to the fabulous Diane Warren for coming by the office and making the time to chat with us. It was such a great conversation. Come on by anytime you'd like. Anytime. And now, and now, it's time for the chart stat of the week. 35 years ago this week, we're all about 35 years ago uh, today on the show, hmm. Culture Club hit the top 10 of the Billboard Hot 100 for the first time with the British band's debut chart hit, Do You Really Want to Hurt Me? The song climbed 18 to 8 on the chart dated February 19th, 1983, on its way to a number two peak. The song actually spent three weeks at number two, stuck behind Michael Jackson's Billie Jean. And if you have to be runner-up to something, that's not a bad number one to be trapped behind. Indeed. Culture Club, led by the singer and songwriter Boy George, the rather flamboyant Boy George, Mm -hmm. mind you, notched 10 consecutive top 40 hits between 1983 and 1986, including the number one hit Karma Chameleon. The band earned two Grammy Award nominations, one for Best Pop Performance by a duo or group with vocal for Do You Really Want to Hurt Me? and Best New Artist, the latter of which the band won. In accepting the award on the Grammy Awards, Boy George famously said on the broadcast, Thank you, America. You've got taste, style, and you know a good drag queen when you see one. Yes. So there you have it. 35 years ago this week, Culture Club got its first top 10 hit with Do You Really Want to Hurt Me? Do you really want to make me cry? So have you seen The Wedding Singer? <laughs> Uh, no. Oh, God. Okay, so obviously... Uh, in The Wedding Singer, Adam Sandler is the wedding singer yeah. of a band. Coyote and- Ugly is a total guilty pleasure. Mm-hmm. But The Wedding Singer is a legitimately great movie that you should definitely see. And yeah, the um, not to get into tragic things, but uh, um, why can't I think of her name right now? Arquette. Alexis Arquette. Who just passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, sings Has the iconic her. scene where she sings... Do you really want to hurt me? Mm. And like on repeat because it's the only song she knows. It's oh. really great. So are you suggesting that we go out on the Alexis Arquette version? Oh, there you go. Love that idea. Do you really idea. want to hurt me? Love that idea. All right. See you guys next time. Bye. Give me time to realize my cry. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring a laundry oh a book club computer solitaire huh ah oh, sorry we were looking for chumba casino that's right chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details